Thank you. It's fun to be married to a missionary, but I get to get up here and say to you, my name's Michelle and I am a full-time missionary. Now, I never wanted to be a missionary for two reasons. I didn't want to be hot. That was the main reason. I'm like, missionaries are always sweating. You know, I don't want to be that. And I don't want to raise money. <clears throat> um, I get to be a really cool missionary. And like Yon said, I get to be a missionary at a really cool place. Before I even start today, I take it very seriously. I know it could be, I could easily take pride in it because I do a lot of fun things. I get to go to a lot of fun places with my job. Um, but every morning when I go on campus, I play the song by Casting Crowns, Only Jesus. And in that song it says, um, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me. Only Jesus. Like, I don't care if 10 years... There's this lady that came to Syracuse, but they remember Jesus. I don't care if they remember my name. And then it says, I want to spend every minute telling someone about Jesus. And that's truly how I feel. The neat thing is, is we were driving to church today as I pulled into the parking lot on the radio. That song came on. I was like, yes. Because what you hear today is not me. It's only God working through me. And God has done all these amazing things. And and I'm going to try to do a mashup today. I'm going to mash up my life as a missionary, and we're going to finish the sermon series on unbelief. Okay? So hopefully they'll all come together for you. Um, so Fellowship of Christian Athletes is a sports ministry. I am not a sports person. I love sports. I knew a lot about sports. I grew up in a home where my dad, when we were little, would do quizzes. Because he wanted our, his daughters to be marketable to men. So, so we had to know teams and their colors. We had to know how to score things. We couldn't look stupid. My sister Kristen's here. She can attest to that. We couldn't look stupid when we watched a football game. We had to know the plays. We had to know stuff. Um, I got married. He didn't care. You know? He didn't care. Um, but I thought, you know, you wonder if things in your life, will they ever come to, to fruition? Will they ever mean anything? And then here I am in a sports ministry, and I kind of know what's going on. Um, but um, about 2015, people were coming up. I taught second grade for years. We first got married. I taught second grade in Philadelphia. We moved to Syracuse. I taught second grade. I never taught any other grade. Um, but for almost 20 years, I taught second grade. And about 2015, people started coming up to me and saying, hey, there's this organization at Syracuse University called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And they're looking for a woman's chaplain for the women's sports teams. You'd be great at it. Would you consider it? I'm like, absolutely not. I wouldn't even work at a youth group in church. I like little kids. They're funny. They make me laugh. They talk about funny things. I don't want to work with older kids. So I said, no. Well, this would happen over and over and over again. And then um, I remember someone saying, well, could you just lead a Bible study? And I remember talking to my women's Bible study at North Central saying, they asked me to lead a women's Bible study for some of the sports teams. I just don't have the time. What do you think? Let's pray about it. I never did it. And then in Easter of 2016, we were in the airport going to visit our kids for Easter in Oklahoma. And while we were in the airport at like 5.30 in the morning, the women's lacrosse team from Syracuse came and sat. Now the airport was kind of empty and they kind of sat right where Rich and I were sitting. So it was like Rich and I and all these girls. And I remember saying to myself, there's all these places they can sit. Why are they sitting like right across from us? And so we sat there for a little bit. They were going to Notre Dame. We were going through Detroit. And one of the girls looked up to me and said, are you a mom? 
And I said, yes, I am. I have college kids, actually. We're going to visit them. They said, can I ask you a question, and will you answer it like you would answer your daughter? I said, sure. And she said, my boyfriend is in my apartment, and when I get back, I really don't want him there. I don't know if he's the right one for me, and how do you know? I was like, oh, my gosh, it's 530 in the morning. Like, I just couldn't even, like, begin to tell you it was going through my head. And I was like, Lord, you got to help me because I don't know what to say. And I said, okay, take out your planner. And I've used this ever since, and it's a really good trick for parents. I said, take out your planner and turn to the front of your planner. I said, for a minute, I want you to write down everything. When you picture the man that you want to spend the rest of your life with, I want you to write down everything about him everything that you think, down to the color of his eyes and what he does for a job, where you want to live, put all that down. So she starts writing. Well, all of a sudden I look and other people have their notebooks out and they're writing. So I thought, okay, we're going to make this like a class. We're going to teach it like a class. So she gets it all done and I said, okay, let's go through number one. Is he this? No. Is he this? No. Is he this? No. Well, she had like 15 things and he maybe matched two. I said, well, you know what? You've kind of answered your own question. He's probably not the one. And so she goes, oh my goodness, thank you so much. So they were, they were getting late. In fact, my husband said, you guys are going to miss your flight. So she gets up and she hugs me and she said, could you come to our campus and do this for everyone? I was like, oh. Now, if the Lord doesn't call you to a ministry, that's how he's going to do it, right? So Rich goes, next time someone asks you, you need to do it. So I get on the plane. Here's like, Jesus, please help no one ever to ask me. I'm praying. <laughs> I get home in a parking lot of Wegmans the next week. Someone walks up to me, Michelle, how are you? Do you know that? I was like, oh, okay. So I applied. And it was a very long process, you know, because you're a chaplain on a university and they have to you get through it. But I applied and you know, they're like, you're, this was in May, we'd like you to start September 1st. Now, I had no doubt at the time that God called me to be a chaplain at Syracuse University. There was no doubt that God called me. The doubt came, I didn't know how to do it. I didn't know if I'd be good at it. When you teach second grade for like over 15 years, you're pretty good at it, all right? Um, and the content's pretty easy, just so you know. It's not hard. But this, I was going to deal with stuff that I didn't think I was good at. And I'll tell you, I wrestled with unbelief and doubt. I wrestled with it. And the neat thing is, I'm not the only one who ever did it. And that's what I love the best about it. If you look in the Old Testament, so many people wrestled with doubt. But there's something I hope you catch when I'm done talking today. There's a, an attribute about God and Jesus that's so wonderful. I'm not going to tell you right now. But I hope you catch it because it's okay. And God does great things when we doubt. So I thought about Sarah. God told her she's in the sun. She laughed at him. Now, I didn't laugh at God. I just kind of told him I think he got the wrong person. But I didn't laugh, all right? Gideon, I was probably more like Gideon. I'm the least of the least. I don't think you could, should use me. I'm kind of old to be working with college kids. But Gideon doubted. Um, Moses said, I don't know if I can say the right things because I was worried about that. Will I be able to say the right things? I used to talk to little kids and I got to talk to big kids. But let me tell you, they're the same. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Eight, 18, 
It's all the same. Okay. But we go to the New Testament. There's a man in the New Testament called Zechariah, right? He's a priest. And he's performing his priestly duties. And God tells him, you're going to have a son. Now, he didn't believe him. And God, thank God he didn't do this to me. But he made Zechariah not be able to talk. He couldn't speak, okay, until the baby was born. But his baby that he had was John the Baptist. So he had this, like, amazing kid. John the Baptist was the one who, like, pointed the way to Jesus. He was an outdoorsman, really rugged, and he, like, only cared that you saw Jesus. He didn't even care that you saw him. He's like, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming. And then he had this awesome opportunity to be able to baptize Jesus. So he gets to baptize Jesus. He gets to hear God's voice because God says, this is my son in whom I'm pleased. He gets to see the Holy Spirit. I mean, it was like a high better than a church retreat. Okay, Rich and I were going through some stuff at our house this week, and I pulled in this box, and I found my poster from the Amy Grant concert in 1980s. And then I found the pictures of Amy Grant. My mom's like, who's this? I'm like, this is Amy Grant's. And I remember going to that concert and coming home and feel like, oh my gosh, this most wonderful night. Now that's nothing like baptizing Jesus. But you know those feelings when you get to do something really great or you have a great time with the Lord and like you're so like on fire and excited? Well, John the Baptist gets to do that. And so he was just a powerhouse for God. But there was a, what came a point for John the Baptist when things kind of went the different way. Here this outdoorsman was put in prison. Now, can you imagine being an outdoor guy? You, like, eat locusts, and then you're put in prison and confined. And he's put in prison because King Herod um, committed adultery with his brother's wife, and John told him that was not a good thing to do. King Herod didn't like that. King Herod put him in prison. So we're going to pick up this story today, and it's in John 7. Okay, and here's what it says. It says, The news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. The disciples of John the Baptist told John about everything Jesus was doing. So here he's in prison, and his disciples saying, oh, Jesus is doing all these great things. So John called for two of his disciples, and he sent them to the Lord to ask him, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? Hmm. This powerhouse from God seems to be doubting Jesus. Now listen, if you have doubt and you keep it tucked inside, it will fester, it will grow, and it will take root. It will keep you up at night. It will eat you out from the inside out. Doubt, if you share it, sometimes it spreads like wildfire. So in my position at Syracuse, I sit behind the bench on the bench for a lot of teams. When it gets a little dicey, some of the, some of the players will say, Michelle... Do you think we can pull this off? you think we can win? Now, in my head, I might say, no. But I would never say that because doubt spreads. If I say, mm, I think it might be tough, are they going to go out and play their best and do what they're supposed to be doing? No. I say, of course you can. You've got this. We're going to win. You know, because we want the faith to spread, not the doubt to spread. But the best thing to do with doubt is what John the Baptist would, did. He took it to Jesus. He went to Jesus and said, listen, I'm doubting what you're saying. And that's what I did, too. I took it to Jesus. And they said, you know what? I'm not feeling like this is, I can do this. I don't think I'm going to be good at this. I know when my dad was sick, 
a long time ago, probably 2007. Um, we prayed for a whole year for him to get better. And people would come to me and say, Michelle, the Lord's going to heal your dad. And here's the problem. I held on to more what people said than what God's word said. I wanted him to be better. So anybody that told me it, I believe what they said. All right? We prayed for him, but he didn't get better. He did get better because he, he went to heaven. He's better and he's with Jesus. But when we go through those times of like that are really, really hard, and we're like, God, you say you're a healer, but do you really heal? Those are times we doubt. I know you can do it, but will you do it for me? And maybe it's like in a marriage. Maybe like your marriage, you know, my daughter's getting married in two months, and she, she really thinks that when she gets married, it's going to be endless bliss, you know? And I don't want to tell her. I said, it is, honey. It's going to be so wonderful. You know, but we all know, like, like you know, we all know what they were talking about even this morning, that, you know, sometimes life creeps in, and you, like, almost forget the other person's there. You're just living life together. Or maybe you're, like, um, in your 30s or 40s, and you're like, I don't think my life was going to look like this right now. This is not how I planned it to be. But this is where you're sitting. You're like, God, God I'm doubting this is what you called me to do. And one thing that when my doubts fill my mind and then my heart, and that's how it works, right? Doubt starts here, and it goes here, and it settles in. This is what I always remember. God may not live up to my expectations, but he will always live up to his word. Always. Here's what the Bible says. When I'm weary, he'll give me strength, Isaiah 40, 30. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. When I'm tired, he'll give me rest. Come to me, all who you are weary and are heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When I feel unloved, his love never fails. Get this one. For the, this is Isaiah 54.10. For the mountains may move and the hills may disappear, but even then my unfailing love for you will still remain. When I don't feel worthy, God reminds me I'm redeemed, Colossians 1.13. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his own son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. When I'm too tired to fight, God fights for me, Exodus 14. The Lord will fight for you. Just be still. When I need wisdom, God gives it to me when I ask. James 1.5 If you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. When I feel overwhelmed with the weight of my sin, God forgives me. 1 John 1.9 But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. When we make a mistake, he makes mercy. And he makes it over and over and over every morning. I make a mistake, he makes mercy. We've been talking in the sermon series about the story in Mark 9. And I love kids. So I want to review the whole story today because this little kid gets to my heart every time. And it's in Mark 9. And it says, so they brought the boy. But when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. Imagine that parent, what he must have been going through. 
The spirit often throws him into the fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief or my doubt. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. The father's heart must have sunk right there. Like, it's worse. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, He's dead. That Sunday evening, the disciples were... Oh, he's dead. We're missing a slide. Um, hold on. Um, a murmur ran through the crowd, but Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet, and he stood up. That's the last piece to that. So here he's got belief and unbelief, and I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say to him, um, well, when you have enough faith, go to the back of the line, and when you have enough faith, come back to the front, and we'll try this again. You know? No, Jesus healed the boy. Why? Because he's good. That's who Jesus is. He's good. It's not because God doesn't show up because of I believe or I don't believe. God shows up because he's good and that's who he is. Um, that's a story of a person who is maybe we thought, well, you know, we don't know where he's still with the Lord. Maybe he wasn't a strong believer. So let's do a story about a strong believer, okay? So we're going to go now to John 20, okay? So here's a story of one of Jesus' disciples, a strong believer who doubted. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of his 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Did you ever, when I read this story, here's the first thing I think of, which is so not godly. Did you ever like go on Instagram and like see there's a party and you weren't invited to it? You're like, oh, they all got together. They forgot to invite me <laughs> or they didn't want me. Um, but I always think of Thomas. Do you think like, oh, there's a party and I wasn't there? We don't know the story. But um, um, it just says Thomas, which was not in there when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place his hands into the wounds and place my hands into the wounds in his side. Now, if a lot of people are telling me they saw Jesus and this is what they saw, I don't think I would be like bold enough to say, well, I'm sorry, I am not going to believe you till I see it myself. But he did. And that says, eight days later, the disciples were together and Thomas was with them. And so I want to talk to you for a few minutes about my eight days. I wonder what Thomas was thinking. And he's like, here, I don't believe it, but I want to believe. I want to believe, but I don't believe it. But I want to believe um, when I first got my job at FCA at Syracuse, they said, here's what we want you to do. First of all, we want you to, to raise enough money to pay your salary and to do every bit of ministry you possibly want to do on campus. If you want to buy food, supplies, Bible studies, travel with teams, I'm thinking, oh, I, I don't even, that's a lot of money. Okay, 
Sure, but I said, I can't even think about that right now. I gotta think about what my next job. The next job you have to do is you have to go on campus and you have to find all the believers, the, the athletes and the coaches that know about Jesus that wanna attend a church service. So on campus we have, we call everything a huddle because everything's in sports terms. So our huddle is on Tuesday night from eight to nine and it's a church service for athletes. Because they have games on Sunday, practice on Sunday, it's hard for them to come to church. You see athletes coming to church sometimes, but it's very, very difficult. So we have a church service for them. The next thing we have to do is we want to set up um, a coach's ministry. So there's Bible studies for the female coaches. We want you to set up a coach's wives ministry because these wives really need to be ministered to because their husbands are gone a lot. We want every team to have their own Bible study, and there are 11 women's sports teams at Syracuse. Then they'd like you to have a women's Bible study for all the athletes. I said, oh, sure. Mm -hmm. I can do that. How do I do that? So they give me like a little swipe card, and you swipe yourself in the building. Okay? So I'm in the building. How do I do it? So I said, okay, let's just start by loving and serving. So I would... Me, I made little goodie bags. Everyone likes a little present. I put like Starbucks gift cards, my little card with my name and number. Here's things I can do for you. I can be a chaplain. We can pray before games. We can have uh, chapels before games. Can I, am I invited to come to practice? I'll sit with your injured players. So I was invited into practice. So I would, now remember, this is me. I would fill water bottles. That was easy. Soccer games, I would shag balls. Volleyball games, I would shag balls. I'd be so sore from bending over, picking up balls. I just served and loved. Served and loved. Served and loved. And here's the thing. I was very hot. The one thing I didn't want to be with a missionary was hot, and I was very hot. It was the month of September. So I was like, oh my goodness. And after a month, I'm like, I don't know, Lord. I don't think things are happening. I think that this is not for me. People are very nice, but like no one's coming to know Jesus. You know, things are very nice. Um, I, I was kind of just waiting for Jesus to show up. And I was wondering, like, what does Jesus think of me? Because I think I spent more time in doubt than I did in faith. And then if we look at the rest of the story, this kind of shows you what Jesus was thinking of me. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing in among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and, he, and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. He didn't shame him. He didn't accuse him. He didn't say, what were you doing for the last three years when I was teaching you? He didn't do any of that. He just said, look, it's going to be okay. Don't be faithless anymore. He's the one that will leave the 99 and go after the one. And I had to keep reminding myself of that. So I was at the, only, I was at the point of decision, what am I going to do? So um, I prayed, and I said, Lord, what really, what do you want me to do? And I really felt the Lord say this to me. I want you to take people to Jesus and stay there with them. I'll do the work. Just introduce them to me and stay there with them while they learn about me, help them to grow, and then I'll do the work. So I continue to love and serve. They say we have trust equity with three to four people in our lives. That means that we have three to four people in our lives, everyone here, that we can speak into their life and they will listen. So I told myself, I'm just gonna start with three to four. 
Mark 16, 15 said, and then he says, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to any, everyone. Go means get out. And I had to tell myself, just get out and do it. Our church should be a revolving door. Every Sunday, every time we meet for CTC groups, every time we meet in a woman's Bible study, every time we meet in youth group, we come in, we get equipped, we get built up, we get filled up, and we get sent out. Every time. Because our goal is to see heaven crowded, right? Would we agree with that? We all want to see heaven crowded. That's our goal, all right? So here it is in sports terms, ready? Sunday is our huddle. We're huddling up. The Holy Spirit's our coach. Pastor Dan is our quarterback, or today I'm the quarterback. He's kind of fun, all right? And when I say hike or go, you're going to go and you're going to run the play. But here's the problem. If this is the only time that I'm coming and I'm getting the instructions and I'm going to run the play, I'm missing out on the best days of my life with Jesus because we can't get it all here. Practice is what we do outside of the huddle. Practice is what you do when you go home. You're going to practice. That's your time with Jesus. That's your time in the Word. One of my, one of my coaches' wife put this on Facebook this week. Practice should be a place you drool about going to. What you put in at practice is what comes out in the game. So fall in love with practice because it will take care of your game and your future. Listen, we are all, um, we all need God's grace. We all don't, I don't get up every day and say, woohoo, I'm going to practice and I'm going to, you know, do all this. It's not about what you do, but we have to do more than just come Sundays. It could be listening to the scripture while you're driving in your car. It could, it's spending time in prayer. It's spending time with the Lord so that when these opportunities come up, you're ready to run the play. We had, so Mark 16, 15 is not a suggestion. It's a command, go and preach the good news. That first month was hard. At the end of the month, they have something at um, Syracuse. Most colleges do where you set these tables up on the quad, and then students come, and they see clubs that they want to attend. So FCA had a table, and I was sitting there. And upcoming people coming, oh, I hit FCA in high school. I said, sign up. We have, our, you know, we have a huddle. We have a church service for you. People were signing up, and one of the girls that came to sign up, her name was Jess, and she just transferred as a sophomore softball player um, from a, a school in the Midwest. And so she said, hi, I'm Jess. She goes, um, do you learn about Jesus at FCA? Because it had Christian in it. I said, yeah, we learn about Jesus. I said, you should come. Have you heard of it? She goes, yes. She said, my parents grew up going to church. And when they got married, they said, we will never put our kids through that. We will never make them have to go to church. We don't want them to have to do that. So she goes, and I was in um, high school. My friends were Christians. And they would invite me to youth group. My parents said I couldn't come. She goes, so my dad drove me out to college, and he said, you know, Josh, you had a really bad experience at your last school, your freshman year. But when you come to Syracuse, you can, like, reinvent yourself. You can be anybody you want to be. No one knows you. She goes, Dad, I don't want to hurt your feelings, but when I go to Syracuse, I'd kind of like to learn about Jesus. Are you okay with that? He said, sure. You're an adult. You can do that. So she said, I'd like to come. I'd like to learn about Jesus. So I think two nights later was our huddle or something. And she came, and she brought a friend. Faith was her friend. And they sat in the front row. And we gave them a Bible. And she opens her Bible. She goes, oh, wow. You know, Bible's kind of a lot to give to someone. But in the back of our FCA Bible, for every day of the year, there's a little devotional, a sports devotional. 
So I said, just go to the back of the Bible and just read the devotional for each day of the year. So she came the next week. She brought a couple more softball player friends. And she said, um, I got some of the Bible, but it's kind of hard. But the Lord had given me an idea. I said, listen, here's the Jesus Storybook Bible. Go home and read this. This is a great way for you to, have a, to, to learn the Bible. She had read the whole Jesus Storybook by the next Tuesday. And by that third week, we had almost the whole softball team at FCA. And at the end of October, so it must have been about the fourth week, um, someone had come to speak at FCA, and they had actually asked people if they want to give their life to Christ. And that night we had, I thought we had nine people accept the Lord, but Jess had two hands up. So she counted, she double counted herself. But it was really neat. And if any of you um, remember when we had the baptisms here for Syracuse, Jess was one of the ones that got baptized that night. And that's what the Lord used to actually turn me around and say, Michelle, just go and be obedient and I will use you. As of today at Syracuse, we have our Tuesday night huddle. We have a women's coach. We have coaches. I'm just speaking for the female side. We have a coach's Bible study. Um, and it's so neat because at, at a college campus, there's usually about 30% coaching change over the year. So 30% of the coaches come out and 30% coaches, new coaches come in. And the neat thing about our, our women's Bible study is the coaches that have left still are on the Bible study. So it's really, really neat. Um, we have a women's athlete Bible study. We have individual teens Bible study. Um, every week I go to the Babers house and we have a football coaches wives study. About 10 of the wives of the football coaches come. We do a basketball wives coaches study, and we have countless one-on-one times with coaches and athletes. God is doing amazing work. Um, But it was like God kept doing things. I'm like, God, there's more kids out there. There's more athletes that just don't want anything to do with the Lord. And so what I've learned is this is what most college students believe. God doesn't care what you believe. Like if I talk to an athlete about coming to FCA, they go, ah, God doesn't care about what you believe. Or being a good person is good enough to get you into heaven. I don't need something else on my schedule to do. A loving God would not send people to hell, so I'm really not worried about it. All roads lead to God. This is the biggest one. This is the biggest one on our campus. All roads lead to God, you know. And they have all, like the little um, stones. They were these like little, you know, you know what I'm talking about, like stones that are, is that right? Stones, gems, something. Crystals. Yeah. Um, and then a human wrote the Bible, so I'm sure it's full of mistakes. So I thought, you know, no one debates that Jesus is a great teacher, but how do I keep, tell them he's the way, the truth, and the life? He's the only way to God. So I started, my second year at FCA, I started this Bible study called Give Me a Semester to Prove the Bible's True. And so I had rules, though. As a good teacher, you have a lot of rules, right, before you start. So I said, give me a semester to prove the Bible's true, but here are the rules when you come. Number one, you have to bring an actual physical Bible, which I was hoping they wouldn't bring, because if it's a, it's like a, a lecture room, so you sit down and they're standing up there, and if I have to walk around and find it in everyone's Bible, it'd be very hard. I said, but get the Bible app, and we'll put your Bible, we'll put the books of the Bible in alphabetical order. You have to have a Bible. You have to, when it comes to your turn, you have to read the verses out loud. And you can bring anything you want to refute me, the topic. I'll give you the topic ahead of time. And you can bring anything you want to refute me. So the first week we're going to say, who is God? That was the title of the first week. So come and you tell me who you think God is, and I'll show you what the Bible says God is. And let me say, the whole time I'm on campus, I rarely ever give my opinion about anything. I always, they know the Bible is 
the book that I use, and if it's in the Bible, that's what I consider as truth. So they know this about me already. So the first week was, who is God? And they said, I said, and you can sit wherever you want, but I'm going to pull an index card to tell you what row I'm starting with. Because then they all sit in the back, because they don't want to be the first one to read. So it was a full room the first week. So we did, who is God? We had a really good debate going on. They really didn't prove anything to me. I told them who God was. I don't know if I proved anything to them. But the next week, I said, the topic is, what does God think about you? So you tell me what your God thinks about you, and I'm going to tell you what my God thinks about you. So as it would be, the football team comes and sits in the second row. And they all sit with their groups. And I happened to pick two as my index cards. The football team had to start the reading. So the first kid, I said, you know what? So they were all, so one kid kind of toward the middle said, I'll start. So here's what he started reading. And so we read from Psalm 139. You made all my delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O oh God. They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the, I could cry, the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. And when I looked up, it was like sheets of tears were falling down his face. And all his friends were like, like, they're making a big deal of it. And I was like, what's the matter? You know, are you hurt? Are you hurt? Did something happen? He's like, I can't believe that. I said, oh, you don't believe it? He goes, no, I can't believe that I believe it. Because it's touching me inside. The rest of the semester, no one ever brought one doubting question to me. They just came, and they sat, and they listened, and they learned. Um, sorry, I got a little off my track. <laughs> um, it's amazing what God was doing. And I can tell you countless of stories of what God has done. Um, countless opportunities I've been able to be a part of. Um, when COVID was down, and I would travel with teams and be the chaplain, I would be the chaplain for both teams. I would be able to go and and do the, 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 chat, the, the service before, um, with both teams there and be able to share Jesus with other schools that I never thought I'd be able to even to talk that I was given access to. God is so good. But not all of us you know, are called to go to Syracuse University and do that, but we're all called to be missionaries. Um, but how do we do it? So I'd like to spend the rest of the time kind of talking about how, how we do it. How are we to go? And the first thing is we're to go with love. And this can be a tough one. Love is an action, not a choice. When an athlete comes to me on a one-on-one -on -one and says, Michelle, I want to meet with you. I'm going to tell you something. You're going to be so shocked. And basically, they're sharing their sin with you, right? It's very important, and we know this as parents, that we don't make any, my face does not make any, um, show any emotion. I just look, and I listen, and I just ask questions. Um, in my heart, I'm grieving. My heart, I'm breaking. Um, but it's an action. It's a tough choice sometimes. And it says um, in John 13, Now I'm giving you a new command. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Do I look like Jesus when I walk into a room? 
Do you look like Jesus when you walk into a room? Walking in love with someone isn't dependent on how they treat you. Because as Christ followers, we're supposed to be setting the standard for what love looks like. Um, We have access to the good news and the truth. Um, I'm sure all of us this week have wanted to uh, shut our social media down with all the commenting back and forth and back and forth on student loans. You know, but I've learned a long time ago, anything that's going to rob me of my peace is too expensive. I'm not paying that price, you know. I'm going to love them. I'm going to pray for them. I don't care if they agree with me. That's not up to me. I'm called to show them what Jesus looks like, and Jesus looks like love. Once we receive God's unconditional love, we will begin tra- he will begin transforming us to look like him. In John 13, it says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. So we love them because they agree with us 100%? Nope. We're called to a higher standard. We are called to show the world that we can love with an unconditional love. You know, Matthew 5, says, love your enemies and pray for those who mistreat you. And I in no means want to in any way discredit anyone that has been hurt by someone else. Especially when you're hurt by people that were supposed to represent Jesus and they didn't represent him. Because we can't judge the heart of God by someone who represented him poorly. That's not Jesus. And I know those wounds went deep. And people say time heals wounds, but the Bible does not say time heals wounds. Jesus is the only one who heals it's only Jesus. And when God says in his word, pray, love your enemies, and pray for those who mistreat you, it's not because he wants to say, look, here's Michelle, my shiny penny. I don't want her to make me look bad, so you better love them. No, because God knows that when you love your enemies and you pray for those who mistreat you, you're going to start to heal, and you're going to stop bleeding all over people who never even cut you. And that's what happens when we're cut so deep. He doesn't do it because he wants to break you. Come on, pray for them. No, he wants you to be healed, and that's the way to your healing, is loving them, praying for them. He'll do the work. You just have to love and pray for them. Sorry. (laughs) I'm choosing to love. That's the first thing. The second thing, go with purpose. Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him through God the Father. We can't change anyone, only God can. But we can represent Jesus. We can point them to the one that can rescue them and set them free. Bring them to Jesus and stay there with them. Here is how I approach each athlete and each staff member. When I walk into their office, I say, here you are. Not, here I am, here you are, because they're the people that Jesus wants to reach. They're who I'm there to see. They're the one that he wants. In March, I was home alone, um, and I was walking through my house praying out loud, and I said, Lord, I am so, he actually said this, I am so sorry I doubted you. This is so much better than teaching second grade. I get to do some great things. In fact, this week, I know, I'm going to brag for one second, I get to go to the U.S. Open in a patio box. 
you know? I mean, you might not care, but that's kind of a cool thing. You don't get to do that. Um, and share Jesus. Like, I get to do it in a, an air conditioning with food. <laughs> food gets a lot of people to Jesus. On Tuesday night, we feed them, and they come for the food, and they get a little Jesus. But I was walking through my house, and I said, Lord, I will never leave Syracuse, ever, um, because I love it so much. The only time I will ever leave, and I was being kind of sarcastic with the Lord. Don't do it. I said, is, um, if someone calls me on the phone, I literally said this, and they say, Michelle, we have a great opportunity we'd like you to pray about. And I won't even pray about it, God. I'll just take it. That was March 13th. On March 17th, I get a phone call. Michelle, this is the vice president of FCA, and we love what's happening at Syracuse. We think you're doing an amazing job, but there's all these colleges all over, especially the Northeast, that are really struggling having FCA. Would you pray about still staying at Syracuse, but part-time going and training and getting all these FCA started all over, starting with the Northeast, and doing some training at our regional center. I was like, no, I won't pray about it. He's like, oh, okay. I said, no, I'll just do it. He's like, really? I said, yeah, it's a long story, but sure. (laughs) So um, starting in May, I'm still able to stay at Syracuse and work with my coaches' wives and my coaches, but I'm not as much with the athletes anymore, although I'm still there a lot, you know, loving them. And, but I'm able to go, and it's amazing, um, the colleges that are open up. You know, you think, these are secular schools. They don't want you. They want you. And sports teams, they want anything that's going to make them help them win. And if Jesus helps them win, they'll take it. So you walk in the door, and you say, I've got the answer, because I do have the answer to everything in life, right? It's Jesus. So... Um, so it's been really interesting. So I get to um, equip staff, I get to train, and I get to do what I'm doing in Syracuse all over the Northeast. That's a new, new thing to my ministry that I'm really excited about. Um, but as I close up today, um, I just want to tell you about a little story. Um, one day, I was really down one night. Um, some college girls had made some choices that really disappointed me. Um, I mean, we have, you know when your, your high school or your college own children make um, choices that disappoint you, it hurts you as a mother. Well, when you're a mother of 500 college kids, there's a lot of disappointment. Um, and I came home, and I was talking to Rich. I said, Rich, I don't think this is worth it. I don't think anyone is listening. I don't think I am making a difference at all. And he reminded me of this story that I'm going to read to you, and I know John can come up. And you've heard this story before, but hear it with fresh eyes from today. A young girl was walking along the beach upon which thousands of starfish had been washed up during a terrible storm. When she came to each starfish, she would pick it up and throw it back into the ocean, and people watched her with amusement. She had been doing this for some time when a man approached her and said, Little girl, why are you doing this? Look at this beach. You can't save all these starfish. You can't begin to make a difference. The girl seemed crushed, suddenly deflated. But after a few moments, she bent down, picked up another starfish, and hurled it as far as she could into the ocean. Then she looked at the man and said, Well, I made a difference for that one. The old man looked at the girl inquisitively and thought about what she had done, and he said, and said, inspired to to join the little girl, he started throwing starfish back into the sea. Soon others joined, and all the starfish were saved. Well, we know all the starfish aren't going to be saved. But who are your three or four people that you have trust equity with? 
Who can you share Jesus with? Who's your one? God's method for winning souls are people who obey the Spirit. I have some starfish up here on the front. I encourage you to take one. Put it somewhere where you can remind yourself of the command of Jesus where he said to go. Bring someone to Jesus and stay there with him. Will you pray with me? Lord, we have a wonderful opportunity, no matter where we are, whether we're on a college campus, whether we're in an office building, whether we're at home with our kids, Lord, of just sharing Jesus with people, Lord. You've put people in our lives that need to know him. And Lord, um, even though we doubt sometimes, Lord, how will they ever hear? How will they ever know? Lord, all we have to do is just show them what Jesus looks like. And sometimes if we use words, then we use words. But Lord, help our lives to be lives lived, Lord, that when we walk in the room, people see Jesus and not us. Lord, we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.